Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's been a rough few weeks for U.S. men's national team fans over in Europe. I mean, what a season it's been. And, and even within this terrible season, this last couple of weeks has just been extra bad. Let's go through the list. Like, Gio Reyna is injured. Weston McKinney is injured. Eunice Musa is injured. Conrad De La Fuente is injured. Then we have a whole host of players who made big transfers to Europe this season and just, for whatever reason, have not really hit the ground running with their clubs. And then the headline. I mean, the 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 two weeks that were for uh, Zach Steffen and Christian Pulisic. It's 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 been a rough time for U.S. Women's National Team fans. And in order to kind of make sense of it all and put everything in perspective, I brought on Adam Turner, USMNT stand on Twitter. Uh, one of the the best perspectives that we have in the whole U.S. Women's National Team game. So I'm excited to talk to Adam. Adam, thank you for coming on. Yo, it's great to be back, man. We're uh, we're qualified for a World Cup now. Um, you know, we just got to figure out which players we can get to play soccer between now and then to uh, to be good players in that World Cup. Football might be over, but MLS is coming back and Champions League and European soccer are in full swing. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage, from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play all your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I meant to say that in the intro that, yes, the U.S. did qualify for the World Cup, so it's not all bad. But boy, am I happy that we qualified when we did, because if we had to play that window like this weekend, oof, it would it would be uh it would be a little bit more nervy. Let's jump in with I, I think the biggest story of, of, of the week. Uh and that was Zach Steffen's performance, his his latest performance against uh or for Manchester City. And I, I think the issue wasn't so much that he had some some terrible moments in that game. Uh I, I think it was that Throughout World Cup qualifying, there's been this discussion about Zach Steffen and some of the shaky moments that he's had within World Cup qualifying. More often than not, those moments didn't lead to goals for U.S., although I think in the Costa Rica game, you could say uh, that they did. Um, However, moving forward, after that latest game he had for Man City, it's it's really difficult to kind of ignore some of these issues that he's having and and to really put your faith on in him as the guy as the number one keeper for the U.S. moving forward. How do you see it? What what is your reaction to to all this? Yeah, first of all, I watched that game for him. Well, I watched that game because it's Liverpool City, right? But like, yeah, I'm really excited for him that he gets to play in a game with that kind of stakes, right? Anytime one of our guys plays in a game with that those kind of stakes, it's just fun to watch. And then, you know, we get whatever it is, 10 minutes in, 20, it's like, oh, geesh, this is about as bad as it can go. And so, I, you know, I think two things, right? Really weird. The goalie gave up with it, you know, kind of the, it wasn't botched footwork. It was, he didn't see Mane pressing him, right? And like, just total brain fart, right? And like, that's, uh, I, I, I saw somebody tweet, you know, oh, it's supposed to be good with his feet. It actually isn't about being good or bad with his feet in that moment, right? That has nothing to do with footwork. It has to do with decision-making, vision. You know, a lot of the stuff that he struggles with is that. And I think that 
you can very well argue, you know, lack of playing time can lead to, you know, indecisiveness and poor decision making. But at some point, we also just have to be honest with ourselves. And I've been a big Stefan proponent, right? From going back, you know, a couple of years now, I've been like on that train. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Like, is he the guy? Because we've seen him make a lot of silly errors, right? For club and country over the last, you know, year now, a big, big sample size, 12 months. And I know he doesn't play week in, week out with this club. We can only grade what we see. And what we've seen is inconsistency, right, Sam? I mean, it's no other way to put it. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've been watching Stefan for a while. I remember his season for, uh, I believe it was Dusseldorf um, in the Bundesliga. I remember watching that season, and, and he made a lot of saves. He made a ton of saves for that team, and it was a team at the bottom of the Bundesliga, so he had a lot of opportunities to make saves. But I always remember that his saves didn't necessarily lead to that team winning games. And I remember watching him coming away thinking, like, you know he's a good keeper. I don't know if he's on the level of say uh, of say uh, uh, Tim Howard uh, whenever he was the national team keeper, or even um, even Brad Guzan whenever he was kind of coming back from Austin Villa and still uh, playing at a very high level. I never really saw him there. Now to be fair, he is kind of on the younger side for a goalkeeper, uh, so he can get better. But as you said, it's it's these um the, these these brain farts that he's having. And it seems to have one in every single game that I've seen him play for the national team and every single game that I've seen him play for, for Manchester City. And at a certain point, you're a goalkeeper. You're supposed to keep balls out of the net. Yes, it's good to be able to make things happen with the ball at your feet. But at at what point does keeping balls out of the back of the net uh, supersede what you can do with the ball at your feet? It's it's something that... I, it's it's definitely a concern, and it's definitely something that throughout World Cup qualifying, I was kind of. I, I don't, what were your thoughts during World Cup qualifying? Did you have Turner or, or Stefan ahead? Uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I like based on the game. If I felt like we were going to get low blocked, then I thought having Stefan could maybe be a little more useful. But I felt like mm-hmm. the team was going to be. It was, it's kind of it's kind of a juxtaposition, right? I, I feel like if we were going to have more chances against us, that I wanted Turner. If it was going to be a game where we needed to break people down, but then there's the juxtaposition of that, which is like when you get pressed, typically a team's on the front foot and getting more chances, but also Stefan can be better. So it's like I was I was 100 split to be honest. There was never a moment where I was like 100 Turner. What are you guys all thinking, right? Or vice versa. I saw it as very situational. And honestly, I just didn't have like the, the enough data. Like the way I always work on this stuff is like, let me yeah. you guys enough to feel at least I might not be right, but I can feel good about my opinion based on seeing enough stuff. And I don't know if I've seen enough stuff where these two guys are at the same level, right? Turner was at MLS and Stefan's a backup at the highest level. And it's just not apples to apples, right? And so after seeing a lot of them with USMNT, if we had a World Cup game tomorrow, I think Matt Turner's my guy. Um, if if I'm pulling the strings, but I don't feel great about that. Like I don't feel great if we're gonna need to have a goalkeeper pass because he's not great at that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, what do we see Stefan do? And I've gone into this film. What do we see Stefan do with his feet? That was a game changer, right? Like I've heard a lot of people say, well, we could at least continue to build. But the film doesn't really like back that. Like you're getting into like minutia if you're saying Stefan was making like these passes at a at, like a high rate, right? More than like two or three per game. 
You're saying Stefan's making like a lot of passes every game that Turner can't. I didn't mm-hmm. see that, right? And so his number one positive, I'm not sure how big of a positive it was for us. Yeah, I, it's one of those things that a lot of times something gets brought up in the U.S. Men's National Team community and it sort of just gets taken for a fact uh, because so many people repeat it. Uh, and whenever you actually look at what's going on in the games and you, and you go back and look at the film, you don't see that as much. And there's actually one, there's actually something like that that's happening right now that we might bring up later. Uh, but I, I think as far as the Zach Steffen thing, yes, there's, there's, I, I think I can point to one or two moments every game where he would make a nice line splitting pass uh, up to Tyler Adams, or he would have a punt that that would start an attack or something like that. So there, there was things that you could point to and say, yes, Zach Steffen's d- distributing is contributing to the attack. But once again, the conversation becomes like, is it worth having a guy that's going to give up one gaff that can uh, very much give up an opportunity on goal if he's giving you one or two line splitting passes a game? And also, by the way, while that's happening, he's also in his distribution kicking balls out of bounds and missing passes and making mistakes. So it's not like his one or two line splitting passes is is. is, is the norm. Like he's also making just as many mistakes as Matt Turner with the ball at his feet, but it's, he's it, it's, it goes back to how he's playing in that goal and the, and the things that he's giving up. It's, it's a concern. Absolutely. And, and I would also add to it that I think a lot of fans, whenever they talk about Greg Berhalter's offense and uh, how the U S men's national team want to play are still thinking in terms of when Greg took over and wanted to really possess from the back and build from the back. And I would argue that ever since uh, the first window of World Cup qualifying, whenever he dropped Tim Ream and he dropped John Brooks and he got rid of Jackson Ewell and all, all those players who were good with the ball at the feet uh, and, and moved towards verticality and started bringing in, uh, playing Zimmerman more and playing Miles Robinson more and playing uh, center backs who are uh, not as good with their feet but more athletic, we've kind of gotten away from really building from the back in that way and we're much more likely to just lump it forward. I think towards... After that first window through qualifying, we were much more a, a team that looked to get forward as soon as possible and not build from the back as much. So within that framework, it made a lot more sense to play uh, to to play Matt Turner there because you're you're losing a lot of that build up anyway within every within your offense. It's interesting though that I I can't re- I can't recall were there any windows where it was really a decision for Greg Berhalter where one was one was a, they were both available. I, I, I can't like recall they were both like. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I feel like they were both kind of like out, right? In yeah. Comparison to each other. So I can't remember if there was one like the. I know Turner started or Turner started the Panama game, right? Was Stefan in that window? I can't remember exactly. I have to look it up. But no, he was out, and I, I think there was a window. Maybe it was November. There were uh, I, I can't recall all of them, but it seemed like it was either one was in or one was out. So it wasn't as much a decision. Um, but it, it does seem like Stefan is the number one for Greg, at, at least uh, as as late. He was the number one for Greg, at least since the last window. Maybe that's changed in the last few weeks. But I, I guess, I mean, Matt Turner's still been out, so we still don't know what we're going to get from Matt Turner whenever he's back from injury. So it's it's a, it's a and, tough situation. seven months is very up in the air, right? Like, we're going to knock on wood here and like, hopefully, you know, Stefan can get a move and start to play a lot or Horvath can either start to play at Nottingham or go somewhere else. But like, it's really nervy for me, right? Like we're, we're at a point where we could be going into a world cup 
without a single top end keeper for us playing week in and week out. And this is what I said a year ago. I thought Stefan needed to move at the beginning of this year. I thought he needed to move in the winter, right? I thought he needs to move like ASAP because we need him playing to either like one gain form or so that Greg and the staff can see, oh, these aren't just form based mistakes. This is kind of who this guy is. And there's no mm-hmm. way for us to know that. We could, you know, we could both kind of say what we think, but until we see 30 to 40 games over the course of a year, we don't know if these are blips on a radar that are popping up because of lack of form or if they're actually like, you know, like symptomatic of a bigger thing that exists within him at this point. Um, what I don't want is I don't want to figure that out in a World Cup. <laughs> yeah. And what we've seen with World Cups is that a great keeper can cover so many holes for, for, a, uh, for a team. I mean, in that last World Cup, uh, not yeah, the last one that the U.S. was in, uh, Tim Howard's performance was just unbelievable, and it 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 allowed that team to move so much further than it probably uh, should have. And that's something that you could say for U.S. Men's National Teams in years past. I mean, uh, Casey Keller, uh, Tony Miola. I mean, the U.S. has always had these keepers who who have elevated the team further than maybe they should have. And, and another great example would be uh, Kaylor Navas with Costa Rica. Uh, I mean, Kaylor Navas took that Costa Rican team way further in the World Cup than anyone was expecting, and a lot of it came down to just his unbelievable shot stopping. I mean, uh, in that World Cup with Tim Howard, I mean, you had uh, Manuel Neuer, you had Kaylor Navas, you had Tim Howard. I mean, it's phenomenal goalkeeping play really comes up big in a, in a small tournament like a World Cup. You can see that in hockey, too, like in NHL, how many times does a goalie carry a team? But it, it's a... It's a super important thing. I, I do want to mention, just because I kind of teased it, one thing that I, I see right now that, that just keeps going around uh, that I just don't see whenever I look at the film, and I'll get your thoughts on it, is I keep seeing that uh, Miles Robinson um, is is not playing well right now or that he's not defending well for the U.S. Men's National Team. And I will say, on the ball, Miles Robinson is offering nothing in distribution. I mean, he is... He is pat- in the last window, he... Pass to uh, Walker Zimmerman, and Walker Zimmerman made the pass. That's that's what he did. But as far as his defense, as far as his one-on-one defending, his defending in space, uh, his his balls in the air, I thought he was just as good as he's always been. I don't know. I, I keep seeing that take being thrown around, and I don't understand where it's coming from. Well, I, I, I dove into some of his club play stuff, and I think he had – you know, some shaky moments there at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. it seemed like mm-hmm. with Atlanta. Um, he had a pretty shaky moment against Canada, right? I think what we love to do as a community is we love to take either one single moment or one short-term right moment, and we love to make grand sweeping statements about what must be for the yeah. long term because of that, right? Like, I, yeah. I was just in a fight last night about Julian Green because he had a good game this weekend. People, we had a good game this weekend, so how can you say he doesn't belong? And I'm like, guys, yeah. what are we, what are we talking about? Like, well, Miles had one bad moment against Canada. Get him out now. He can have a bad moment, and I, I get where people are coming from, right? Because this is it's usually like the John Brooks crew versus the Miles crew, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So it's like John Brooks also had like one bad tiny little stretch with the national team, and he's out. And so that's where people are coming from, right? They're like reacting to this perceived injustice against a guy that they like, right? And like, in order to back that, in order to kind of come back at that, they're like, well, Miles made a a mistake, so he's been terrible. It's like, I agree with you, Sam. Like, he hasn't been terrible. If you have nuance to it, like, 
been pretty good on the whole. Like even the last couple of windows defensively for sure. He's been really solid. Yeah. He had one bad moment in that Canada game. Other than that, yeah, he's been I, I mean, if you think if you think about that Mexico game in Azteca, how many times Miles Robinson had to one on one defend Irving Lozano and Raul Jimenez and uh 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 Tecatita Corona and did really well in those duels really well I mean it so many it, defending defenders center backs and goalkeepers it's so difficult to kind of like um figure out how they're playing because you just get such small sample sizes of, of play and then people mostly look at what you do on the ball versus off the ball and and like goalkeeping especially but center back as well what you do off the ball is is more important than than what you do on the ball uh more often than not and, and yes you do see those mistakes those mistakes uh get the highlights and those mistakes people remember uh but the the player that does his job nine times out of 10, or, or even more than that, 99 times out of 100, you kind of forget about those 99 boring plays where Miles Robinson uh, ran back and, 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 and defended against Tecatito Corona in open space and won the ball back and calmly passed it forward. Like that, you forget about that and you think about that, that time that he mishandled a ball against Costa Rica or yeah. uh, for... This is, how I feel about, this is how I feel about Adams, right? Who's getting crushed right now. And he's not been his best, for sure. He hasn't been very good at all for club. But, like, people just don't... Like, he does so much stuff through the course of a game. As do most defenders, where, like, if you're doing your job, you actually do stuff, and it looks mm -hmm. pretty routine, and you get to spots quickly, and it, you know, if you're not really looking for it, you just don't even notice it. Like, Adams is... I mean, there are so, and every time I've clipped it up and like done a video on it, people are like, wow, thanks for sharing it. And I'm like, I got I can't do videos anymore on Tyler Adams. I could do a video every single game he plays. Yeah. And there's like five or six moments like that in most of his games where he's breaking stuff up that just the, the, the average set, uh, center defensive mid, even, even good ones don't get to a lot of the stuff he does, especially in region. And, but people just kind of like, you know brush over that and go he's terrible with his feet he hasn't been very good with his feet i agree with that he has to clean that up but like he is doing so much for us that if you replaced him with any other center defensive mid it would cause a lot of issues and you could probably make that same argument with miles that he's like making so many plays defending that if you replaced him with a worse defender you know it would be situations that would cause us issues i think you can make that argument yeah yeah absolutely and, and tyler adams is a fantastic example because not only does it hard to see whenever he's on camera, but more often than not, he's not even on camera for, for national team games. You don't even get to see him. It's only whenever they pull back and you could see where he is in space and how he's shutting down angles and passing lanes and, and forcing counterattacks to stop in their tracks and forcing the team to, to slow down. I mean, how, how often is there a counterattack that gets launched and the producer, for whatever reason, does a close-up of that player who's doing the counter. So you don't even get to see Tyler Adams' positioning and how he shuts it down and forces the team to stop in its tracks and allows the defense to get back. And how do you, how do you as a, a statistician, how do you put that in the statistics and, and, and contribute that to his numbers? You know, this player was in the correct spot. This player made the, the smart decision in this moment. You know, this player got the yellow card that he needed or got the foul that he needed to slow down this transition moment. Such a smart player. I there, want to transition. There, are, there aren't good stats yet. Like, and that is the problem, yeah. right? Is like we can look yeah. at so many stats now for like offensive attacking players, even midfield players. And other than the stuff, like we can grade defenders and center defensive mids based on what they do on ball because we have a lot of numbers that can kind of generate. But like tackles, flawed stat, aerial duel, all that stuff's flawed. Like you can look at it, 
but it just doesn't tell the whole story. And it's, um, it's very nuanced, you know, it's still very much eye test and you got to really know what to look for, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's one of those positions that's so difficult for, uh, to fans to understand. And more often than not, I mean, fans are always looking at what you do on the ball as opposed to off of it. So if you compare uh, Tyler Adams to a player that's hitting long diagonals and, and, and hitting nice through balls and stuff, like that's the player that gets the attention and gets the eyes. But man, a player like Tyler Adams can just, I, I you think about Ty, this U.S. Men's National Team without Tyler Adams compared to with Tyler Adams, and it's just a different national team. Uh, we got to move on because we've been talking about this for a while. Let's talk about Christian Pulisic, the, the golden boy. Heading into the last World Cup qualifying window, he it felt like he had found a good a good bit of form. Uh, he was playing well. He does get the hat trick against Panama. Everything is good. He goes back to Chelsea, and boy oh boy, uh, so, some pretty rough uh, a pretty rough two game window. And, and at this point, he sort of uh, I mean he didn't he didn't play last weekend. Uh, we'll see if he plays tomorrow against Arsenal. Um, but it, it's not been looking good for Christian Pulisic in the last few weeks. What were your kind of thoughts on on Christian Pulisic's performance and and just everything that incurred uh, thereof? Yeah, it's probably an excuse, but I feel like he played three incredibly taxing games on the other side of the world. But you got to think about how emotionally taxing those games probably were for him too, right? Coming off 2017, the pressure, he's talked about the pressure on his shoulders, right? All that. And to go play, I think he played 85 minutes, two of those games, maybe 70, 80 minutes the other game. So he mm-hmm. played a lot in, in really intense games. That Mexico game was a really intense game in high altitude. Right. And then coming back, it's a it's literally the must win game of the year. Right. Of, of the four years for him. And then it's going back down to Costa Rica to a tough spot to play. And there's got to be a lot of um, relief at the end of that. A lot of pressure, a lot of and honestly, it's physically taxing to do that. And then to have to go back to club after that. I think there's a that's a lot for a, that's a lot for anyone, but definitely for a young guy. You know, I could see that being a lot. And so that's. That's the best way I can justify it because he was playing so well. He was flying before the break. And I thought he played, that was his best window with us in forever, right? That I can really remember. And so I felt really good about it. And then, yeah, it's, he's, it's, it's been a lull since. It's been kind of a, a bit of a downer. I, I was really, I was excited to see him get into some good spots against Real Madrid, right? He, it's not like he didn't get into good spots where he had opportunities. He got a little unfortunate on a couple of them, but um, I'm not as panicked about him. I, I think he's in a good place, and I still see a guy that like is playing well when I've when I've watched him for the most part. So mm-hmm. I feel like he I feel like he's gonna he's gonna go as long as he can stay healthy. What did you? I know a lot has been made of uh, the English fans' reaction to uh, Pulisic after those two games, especially the the game against Madrid where he had those two opportunities and he, he wasn't able to put them away. Uh, there was. A lot made of that. There's a lot of fans who feel like the uh, the English media and the English fans target Pulisic, especially because he's American. Uh, do, do you think that any of that has legs? I do. I mean, yeah, sure, right? Like, I think there's, in English football, specific, soccer specifically, I think there is a hard, like, little brotherness with the USMNT. And I think mm-hmm. that I feel that more there than any other country, just reading what's put out in the media. I feel like Germany is like the most like from my feel, just like they respect the US soccer, US soccer players. Like there's not a lot of like, ah, oh, this American. And I just feel that. I feel that from the fan base. I feel that when I hear pundits talk. I feel that 
hear that when I see the headlines. There's a lot of like, eh, U.S. U.S. soccer, okay. And I feel like he gets the brunt of that being the headline guy in their biggest league, right? Um, so, yeah, I do. I think that his chances, like, it was absurd. I, I don't know. Like, one chance was blocked, and the other chance was from a crazy angle off a one-timer, like, lobbed ball. Like, either of those, if he finished them, would have been, you know, great finishes. One got blocked. So, I, I don't understand how you hold that against the player. The defender got there and made a good play. The second one, I mean, I don't know. I watched that and saw people go, man, he's blowing gimmies. And I'm like, in what world is that finishing? Like, that is a worldie if he scores it. That's a, you know, one in 20 goal, maybe something like that. So once again, I'm going to breathe on him. I think he's okay. <laughs> he's going to be okay. Right. And, uh, and I think he's, I think he's built for it. So I don't think this is all going to get to, yeah. he's going to, I think he's going to roll. Yeah, I thought that that Jorginho chance at the end was a lot more egregious. Jorginho had an opportunity from like right outside the six, and he he totally. missed it completely. Now, I will say that Christian Pulisic is playing for Chelsea, and Chelsea's not just any other club. Chelsea's an absolute elite club. And whenever you're playing at an absolute elite club and you're playing at the, what was it, the uh, quarterfinals of the Champions League, semifinals of the Champions League, whatever it is, against Real Madrid... I mean, you're expected to make world-class plays. That's why you're on that team. That's why you get paid ridiculous amounts of money. That's why everybody on the squad has Lamborghinis. I mean, on the other side of the field, world-class plays were made. I mean, Modric's pass was god-tier. That's not even world-class. That's next level. But, you know, Rodrigo had a difficult finish on that. He came off the bench. He executed that. That wasn't an easy finish by any stretch. He was able to put it away. So, I, I mean, I understand. I identify with the Chelsea fans in that regard. And I also identify with the fact that, hey, let's pull back. Let's look at this situation. Eden Hazard was one of the best players for Chelsea in the last decade. He was unbelievable. He was wearing the number 10. He leaves town. They bring in this $70 million American, this guy who's got all the hype. He comes in. and. Within a season, they give him Eden Hazard's number 10 jersey. He was the next number 10 in line for Chelsea. And while he's had his moments, has he lived up to that to that number 10, that to that Eden Hazard level, to, to what you would expect from a number 10 at a club uh, like Chelsea? And, and there's been moments, certainly, where he's been unbelievable. But it's it's certain. I mean, as a as the biggest Pulisic fan out there, uh, I have his bobblehead right here. He hasn't been game in, game out great for Chelsea. And, and I do understand that there is a frustration there that if you're going to have the American with all the hype and the number 10 jersey and the big price tag, that it's been three seasons, when are we going to get this guy to, number one, not be injured and, and play a full season? And number two, show some consistency and show that you can compete at the highest level like you're expected to at a team like Chelsea week in, week out. And I do understand that criticism from the Chelsea fans. I, I agree. I mean, I listen, he hasn't locked down <laughs> for the coach. He hasn't locked down a week in, week out, locked me into the 11, right? Which you'd expect from anybody wearing the 10 and being the, the standard bearer for a, for a club. And listen, when you're at that level, criticism is, um, it comes with the, comes with the turf. Like you're going to get critiqued like that. Like Jorginho's had that at Chelsea. They've all had that at Chelsea. You could go across yeah. the board. Anyone who has a bad run of form you're going to get that. Right. And that's like, that's a part of the deal in soccer in general. I think like different people have different approaches. Some are highly emotional, right. Which is, that's how I see that though. Right. Those chances. That's how I see it. 
being a little being disappointed by Pulisic's overall performance, it's pretty level-headed. I mean, I, I think I would be too if I was a a fan of a team and somebody was had the profile of Pulisic and all the things you just mentioned. And what we got week in week out is what what you get out of him over the last you know year. I'd be pretty disappointed. Um, you know, if the Celtics, it's like Jason Tatum on the Celtics right now. You know, was like starting occasionally, had some good games, but also like mostly had some average games. I'd be like. We need that dude to be way better. And so, yeah, and, and Ch- that is, to be honest, Chelsea's kind of missing that. And it's not just him, though, either, right? Because there's a lot. I know Werner's played better recently. There's so many guys, and they've got gotten- Lukaku's not been the Lukaku they paid for, yeah. Even like Havertz, right? Like, once again, all these guys have had good stretches, bad stretches, but they've had so many big-time signings, and none of them have just been like how Luis Diaz has been for Liverpool, right? Where it's just like, whoa we put that guy in and he's like automatically a dude week in and week out. And like, we know what we're getting from him. These Chelsea guys, they just don't know what they're getting from any of them. Right. Pulisic included. Yeah. And and the other side of that coin is I think about like, is there a player in the world that Chelsea could bring in that would be just better than Pulisic week in and week out. And I don't know. I I don't know if there's like a similar player out there that Chelsea can bring in that, that, that would just, relegate Pulisic to the bench like he's not been that bad for Chelsea he's definitely been uh, a, a player worthy of, of that jersey um, and of that club and of a club of that caliber he's definitely on that tier but he's not reaching the heights that we want him to as Americans he hasn't reached those heights throughout qualifying that we wanted to wanted him to as Americans and certainly not for the Chelsea fans so I, I get that it's a uh, it's difficult, and we 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 we're waiting for that breakout performance. We know uh, or, or breakout season, I should yeah. say. We know we've seen it from Christian in in where there's a month where he just takes over the world. We've seen games where he just takes over the world. We've seen him beat the very best defenders in the world, uh, but we've also seen him go for long stretches where he's just kind of a ghost of himself, and it's it's frustrating. It's it, it's frustrating. You think about that in the Chelsea context, you think about it in the U.S. Men's National Team context, and yet you look at the, the scoreboard for the U.S. Men's National Team, and, Chel- and Christian led the U.S. Men's National Team in goals, with five goals throughout World Cup qualifying. So kind of a, an enigma as a player, and always going to be one that we talk probably way too much about. Anything else on Pulisic? We just need him. We need him mentally to be in a place where he feels really, really good about his soccer. And I don't think he's been there for a long time. Uh, you know, and I think it's the one big argument for a move, right? I know everybody's been like, <laughs> he's not playing for two months. Everybody's like, see, I told you you should move. Then he plays yeah. for a month straight and it's good. And people are like, what, what's up with all the people who said he should move? <laughs> and it's like, we're like, it's been like this back and forth thing for the last year. I feel like Sam and like, I'm at a point where like, it's not about like, I, I want him to be in a place where he can, he can get, gain this mindset where it's like, okay. I'm calm. I know this is my spot. I know I can just go be me every day. I know I'm not going to get yanked in and out. And there's something to that fighting for a spot and what it can bring out of you. I think he's at a point in his life and career where he needs to find the level of play where he can go be the man. And I don't know where that is. I'm not smart enough to know where that is. I don't think it's Chelsea though. Honestly, I just don't Mm -hmm. Chelsea, like you said, right. It's a top five, six, seven club in the world in terms of expectations. They won the champions league last year, right? Like spending expectations, there's like a tier of five, six, seven teams. And to be a winger on that kind of team, you need to be a top five to 10 winger in the world. If you want to have a lockdown spot on that kind of team, I don't think he's a top five to 10 winger in the world. And I think that's okay. Right. I think he can still be amazing for us. 
I just think he's one notch down from there. And I get I get hated on a lot for saying that because I'm also a massive fan of his. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, who are you? And be, go be who you are. And then honestly, I think if he gets to to a can go play at a club where he can play week in and week out and be himself, I think you're going to see max performance out of him. And then I think hopefully that can carry over into the national team where it's like he, he has this sense of calm. I know how to play and who I am and what to bring every week. And now I just can go do it. There's no talk about me every single time I take the field for both club and country, right? Can you imagine how hard that is, Sam? Every time you step on the field for club and country, this guy's not good enough. He should be better. Like, oh my gosh, at 23? Like, are you kidding me? I just graduated college. I can't imagine yeah. what that would do to me. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up his age because that's something I kind of wanted to talk about. It's it's an interesting age to be at where you're sort of coming into adulthood and and kind of uh, understanding the responsibility uh, that you have around you. I think, you know, at 16 and 17, whenever he was kind of just getting started, everything was a lot bigger than he could even comprehend. And he was kind of able to operate without maybe understanding the world around him at 23 he gets it now. He understands it. But I don't know if he's yet gotten the the the, the maturity that, that you need in order to kind of make sense of everything and go out, be able to go out there with the correct mindset week in and week out and, and get it done. And I, I wonder if maybe as he gets a bit older, if we see a little bit better, for, a little bit more um, week in, week out performances from Christian Pulisic like we're expecting. I, I wonder if that's the case. I don't know. He's got, he's got, I just think he has this weight that's built on his shoulders, right? Yeah. Like and he's talked about it in interviews. It was like no expectations. It was like, who, who cares? Go play. And just go be you. And then like for four years, you're the golden boy. You're the man. Chelsea move. You see, and it's just like this weight built on him. And he needs to figure out, and only he and his close circle can figure this out. How do you just get that weight off and just go back to playing soccer and say, screw everything else. Let me just go be me. Because I don't think we've really seen him in a long time. That's yeah. just a personal take. And he he seems like a kid that is like a like, and to the nth degree of being able to handle stuff like that. Like he seems to be wired differently than most people. He seems to be able to handle pressure better. He seems to be the type of dude who is never gonna back down from any challenge or any adversity or anything like that. He has come so far and overcome so much. Like from where he started in soccer to where he is is unbelievable. But at some point, yes. like that's going to catch up with you, right? So LeBron James of, so- of soccer, right? You like heard that thing, right? Yeah. LeBron is such a good comp. It's different. Yeah. It's like from the age of 16, the weight on of the world on his shoulders, right? Like senior year, Sports Illustrated cover, you know, the king, the next chosen one or whatever it was. And then his first, then he came in and like performed, just like Pulisic has performed, proved it. But he got to this point of weight and expectations. I don't know if you remember the 20, like 2010 conference finals. He just has like these like moments where he just like folded under pressure. And then the big one was his first finals on the heat. He's playing against the Mavs and just like totally folds, almost like wouldn't shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. And even because you would say up to that point, man, LeBron has handled un- crazy expectations better than anyone can expect. And I think the same thing about Pulisic. It doesn't mean that there's not this weight on their shoulders, though, that they have to figure out how to deal with. And I think where LeBron was in 2011, and then he was able to really, I think, get rid of that and just go play and won a bunch of titles after that. To me, that's where Pulisic is right now. And we just need to figure out how to get that weight off his shoulders. Yeah, it's a great, great comp. And I I look at someone like Gio Reyna, who, although he hasn't played much this season, has been fantastic for Dortmund whenever he has played. 
has looked like a player who can't potentially reach that level of being one of the top players in the world. But the difference is, for Dortmund, he doesn't have the pressure. He doesn't have the expectations. He's allowed to go out there and be a young player, and if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. If he does something amazing, he gets all the, the, the praise. But, but it's kind of shielded a little bit from the weight of the pressure for his club team and the national team as well. He doesn't really have to deal with that. And I wonder if Gio Reyna does ever get that big money move, the same type of move that Pulisic got, and all of a sudden he's going to be 22 at a big club with all these expectations, what, what kind of happens there? And, and I think this is a good time to kind of transfer over to, to our last discussion topic. And that's, man, we entered the season with so much hope and expectation because we had so many players make transfer, so many young, exciting players. And I just made a short list. Let's see, Ricardo Pepe, uh, Matthew Hoppe, Conrad De La Fuente, Kevin Paredes, all guys who have made a move and sort of haven't moved much since then. Uh, it's been a frustrating time for, for U.S. Men's National Team fans kind of tracking the progress. Uh, what do you make of all this? Uh, I guess stagnation is a great word for it. I don't want to generalize across all those situations because I think they're a little bit different, but it's just a really good reminder that moving to Europe is great. Where you move is by far and away the most important thing. I, I just, I truly believe that. I think the same... I always use my recruiting experience when I think about this, right? Like I was being recruited by a lot of like division two and division three basketball schools as a high school basketball player. And, you know, I was really fortunate to have some people in my corner who gave me some really good advice. Right. Cause I was like, Oh, I should go D two. That's a higher level, you know, or mm -hmm. I should go to this higher profile D three. And I had multiple people in my corner that were like, you know, just give me great advice. Like how much does the coach want you? Do you think watch the roster? Do you think you'll play there? And so I did that stuff and I landed on this like smaller D3 kind of like startup program, right? Called Bard College, where I ended up playing. And for me, I, it was like a perfect fit, you know, like the player I ended up being, I could have transferred my senior year in college. It played at any of those schools. I probably could have played low division one basketball, but that was because I chose the right school, built my confidence, built my game and became a pretty awesome player at Bard because the situation was perfect for me, right? from a social emotional standpoint, from a development standpoint, from a playing time standpoint, all of that just fit together in a way. And there is no like science to making these decisions. There just isn't right. Like, but if you can choose the right place, it can warp speed your development. If you choose the wrong place, which I easily could have, if I, if I went to a number of those other places and they benched me for two years, right. And played the juniors and seniors. And then I needed to kind of like build my game up while no, getting no playing time, no love. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if I become the confident basketball player I became, right? And so when I look at somebody like, uh, you know, Paredes especially, like Wolfsburg just don't have a track record of developing young players. I don't understand why you would move there. It just doesn't make any sense. Hoppy's move, just, in, I, I knew nothing about Mallorca. I knew nothing about that club. It doesn't seem to make any sense. So giving him no love at all, like, and it seems like he should be a guy that should be getting some playing time. But who knows, right? Maybe they're maybe they're immature. Maybe they're doing the wrong things, and we don't know about it. We just don't know any of that. But it seems to me like for sure a couple of them just didn't go to the right place. Pepe's a little different. He's just eighteen year old striker, man. Like, point point me to the eighteen year old strikers playing in the top five leagues. Go ahead. Like, I'll wait. Like, mm -hmm. they're just there's none. There's not not many, right? And so I'm okay with Pepe. Just give him time. He needs time to bake. Same thing with Predis. Predis needs time to bake. But did they make the right moves? Are they in the right spots to actually, like what I said with me, maximize who they're going to become in the next two, three years? To be determined, for sure. But it doesn't look good in the short term. I'll agree with you there.
Yeah, I think time is, is certainly um, a, a tough thing because these are teenagers that moved with a year and a half to a World Cup as opposed to sort of our last crop uh, that got to move whenever the U.S. had missed the World Cup. So they had a lot more time to bake, as you say. But I do wonder how uh, skewed our thought process is on uh, youth prospects by just how unbelievably well uh, so many of our players from, I guess, like four years ago turned out. I mean, Pulisic, McKinney, Tyler Adams, Tim Weah. You can even throw Gio Reyna in that mix. I mean, Serginho Dest. These are guys that went from prospects to elite clubs and, and elite prospects and elite players so quickly. And that's just not how that generally works out in sports. Even your 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 blue chip, uh, highest level recruit player, you still have a lot of those guys that just never realized the potential that they had. So I wonder if that kind of gets thrown into the mix. Like, should we be judging Kevin Paredes and Ricardo Pepe and Matthew Hoppy against Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and, and Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna? Or is 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 what Gio Reyna and Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic is what they did something that's incredibly special and not something that we're going to see every single year? Yeah, I think it's a great point. For every one of those names you mentioned, though, right? There's the Paxton Pomacall. There's the, you know, what's our guy's name from Atlantic United, Atlanta United that was like a massive prospect. I forget his name at this point. Like Emerson Hyman? Yeah, yeah, Hyman, right? You got all these guys who had big reps, right? Similar type reps to these guys, in my opinion. Could have could have made move these kind of moves at 18 to 20, but they just didn't pan out for whatever reason. Injury or they weren't good enough, or yeah. they were overhyped, or they didn't develop, right? There's all these things. So we have to remember that, right? That amongst all these guys moving, it's only going to be a set percentage that actually like, you know, that, that hit, that, sh- that we strike gold on. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with yeah. Ricardo Pepe, if he does, being an okay player, maybe having to come back to MLS, maybe going to a lower level of Europe and, you know, being like a, uh, you know, Haji Wright or like, you know, there's a million guys like that and just figuring out on, on his own time. And who knows, maybe he never becomes a set national team player maybe becomes a solid backup or maybe becomes the man. All those things are in play, right? And I think people sometimes mistake uh, performance when somebody's at 18 and potential and all this stuff with like assuredness of where they're going, right? And the, if you watch long enough, all, all sports, what you learn is like eight, 17, 18-year-old prospects are great, but you could look at the basketball or football like top 100 list and you'll find a lot of guys you didn't really hear about again, right? You'll be like, whoa, that guy was number 20 in his class. What happened to him? It's like, who knows? Maybe the wrong school. Maybe he didn't work hard enough. Maybe he got hurt. Maybe he didn't love it anymore. There's a million things when you're that age, right? So I try and keep that in perspective that like growth isn't linear. It's not going to be like mm-hmm. we put all of these yeah. guys, you know, into these European clubs and all of them are just like, boom, <laughs> they're on their way. Like, absolutely not. Some are going to like stop here and go down and come back up. Others are going to stall here and then go up late. We just don't know, right? Um, What is cool, though, is that we have so many guys moving, right? And if you think about it Mm -hmm. in terms of like a, this is kind of mean with people, but like a game of chance, which it kind of is in a big, from a big picture. If it's a game of chance, what you want is you want more, um, you know, you you want more bets on the table, right? Like the more bets I have on the table, Right. If we know all of them only have a 30% chance of paying off, if I can get 100 bets on the table, you know, I'm going to win 30 of those. 
right? If I only mm -hmm. have 10 of the bets on the table, I'm going to win three. And what's really cool about the U.S. right now is we're getting so many guys in the mix at a high level that I know that some of them are going to be in the right spots and develop in the right way and pan out. It's hard to predict which ones. We can all kind of, you know, make our guesses. But it's cool to see so many going. It is disappointing, I understand, from a fan perspective, to not see everybody popping the way that we've seen other guys pop, right, quickly. Um, I do think there's going to be a moment in the next two years that a Pepe has, you know, starts to turn, and you're like, oh, my gosh, look at this dude. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we've just set such a false expectation because we've seen Geo at 18 and CP at 17, 18. All these guys hit it big early. We're forgetting that that's not actually how it works. Like no, for the most part in no. European soccer, it's like you're developing it, maybe development academies until you're 21, right? Maybe you get some first team minutes at 19, 20, but it's just spot minutes. And then you get a transfer and go on loan, right? Like these are all very standard issue career paths for big time players, guys who are, you know, Mo Salas and, you know, Robert Lewandowski, yeah. like these are career paths of big time players. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm actually kind of in the process of putting together a, a video on um, on players who had maybe not so great first impressions, but we judge them way too harsh, harshly by their first impressions and, and it, are, are, are kind of able to come back into the mix. And I think a great example of that in this particular uh, World Cup qualifying cycle was Luca Della Torre, who was actually on the same um, youth teams as Christian Pulisic, came up with Christian Pulisic, was kind of an exciting prospect there, ends up at Fulham, never really gets to the first team in the Premier League at Fulham, was able to play whenever they were in the lower division, but not in the Premier League, uh, kind of gets shipped out over to the Dutch League and finds himself in the midfield over there. He was playing wing at Fulham, gets into the midfield and start, suddenly starts to figure it out, gets the playing time, suddenly starts to figure it out. And I mean, you can't deny the growth of that player and, and, and the impact that he's had on the national team. Team. I think another interesting guy like that is Jordi Mihailovic, who we got to see Jordi Mihailovic early on in the in the Burhalter tenure, and he just wasn't up to the level of the national team at that point. Um, a couple years down the road, we're seeing a Jordi Mihailovic that's absolutely tearing it up in MLS right now, and and maybe that that growth in that two years or whatever that time span was is what he needed to kind of elevate himself. Uh, to kind of fix those holes in his game and, and ele elevate himself to a position where he can be that top player. And like you said, not everybody is going to hit at 18 years old. And there is absolutely a world where Ricardo Pepe gets a full offseason at, at Augsburg. And and I they, maybe they get back to the Bundesliga, maybe not. But if, if they do, he could definitely be a player that has a ma massive jump between his his first season and his second season. I, I watch him at Augsburg, and it's not like he looks like he's he's uh he's the worst player on the field or anything. I mean, he looks like he's right there. He just needs a, a just a, a little bit more time, a little bit more sprinkling of that magic dust to kind of put it all together and, and become a, a a quality player contributing to that squad. I definitely think the the compressed time frame um, of this World Cup qualifying cycle, where so many of these guys made these jumps with a year and a half to the World Cup, has changed our expectations and kind of made us hope for for uh progress so much quicker than, than maybe is justifiable and, it, and it's kind of working against them but yeah I, I absolutely believe that kevin paredes and ricardo pepe maybe even matthew hoppy although i have my doubts about matthew hoppy uh can potentially reach that level that we're all hoping they will yeah like baseball is littered with guys who spent years in triple absolutely right double a triple a there's guys who got moved back down they got moved up to the bigs they struggled they got moved back down for a half season 
And that's where all these guys are, right? Is we're expecting them to, you know, all go hit 40 home runs and have 100 ribbies as 19-year-olds, right? And like when really it's like, actually, they need to go down to double A and, and learn how to hit 280, you know? And then like take a, take a step up. And I, I sometimes feel because of all the pressure and because of the success of a lot of our guys, that maybe some of our young guys also like have rushed expectations, make decisions that are maybe a little bit rushed, right. In terms of like the moves that they're trying to make. And they forget that like, this is the crock pot. It's not the microwave, right? Like development isn't sticking in the microwave for 20 seconds and expect it. That's how we want it to be. Right. And I think Sam, when you're talking about the disappointment of the community, that's what it is, right? We, that we live in a microwave world. We want everything microwaved quickly and we want it to be done for us. And it's like, that's not how development works, guys. This is an 18-year-old. You literally might not see him hit his like jumping off point until he's 23. Look at Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. Mo, Mo Salah we talked about. Chelsea went back, you know, stepped backwards in his career to then come back to Liverpool and be the star that everybody thought he was going to be four years before. That is so common, right? The, yes, are there Eden Hazard? So many. Yeah. Odegaard is another one. Odegaard, there's so many, right? Are, are there Messi's? and Eden Hazards, and these guys are just like 19, they're surefire. Yeah, those are the rarities, though. To me, what we're talking about is much more the norm. And like, let me just ask you, and this is where I always have to like give myself perspective. If we were having this conversation three years ago, right? And, you know, 2019, it's not that long ago. There was a gold cup in 2019. I remember watching that pretty, pretty distinctly. And I told you like, hey, listen, our right back is going to be a, you know, sometimes guy at Barca and he's going to have started a lot and, you know, he's going to be fighting for a spot and our left back is going to be, you know, playing for the top flight EFL team. And our midfield is going to be full of, you know, a guy who's a spot player at Valencia, you know, and and another guy who's a locked in starter at uh, Juve and a guy who's a sometimes guy for a champions league team at at Leipzig in the front line. Right. If I told you all this, even given the struggles that we're talking about right now, yeah. One, you wouldn't believe me. You'd be like, shut up. Like, that's a lie. Like, sure, I'll take that right now. Like, you would sign up for it right now. And so would I. And so would everybody else. And you got to remind us where we are. Right. And I think that I even lose that a lot when I go with the expectations yeah. of where I want our team to be. We are really young. And we, yeah. yeah and it's not just that they're play- it's a it's a spot player at Barcelona and a spot player at Valencia. It is a, 20 year old, right? Back. That's, that's, that's exactly like it, I would take a 28 year old spot player at Barca, but like, yeah, yeah you're you got an 18 year old at Valencia. It, exactly. It's an 18 year old at Valencia. Yeah, sure. I'll take him. And then if you ask me, if you just gave me the ages, where they all played, how many minutes they're playing, and I knew nothing about them, and you just said, all right, Adam, analyze this three years from now. How good do you think we should be? I would probably say something. I think I would say something like, we'll probably be pretty talented, but inconsistent. Because <laughs> that's what 18, 19, 20 year olds are. Like they're pretty inconsistent. And we probably have a pretty high ceiling, but it needs to be figured out. But, uh, you know, we should qualify in CONCACAF. Are we going to coast, you know, with a bunch of 18, 19, 20 year olds? I don't know. I, that could be tough. And I think I lose perspective because I'm on the opposite end of that a lot, where I'm like, why aren't we doing better? Like, what the heck? Why aren't we doing? But when you step back and you just look at it neutrally, you're like, yeah. we're okay. Like we're in a pretty good spot. And you know what? With seven months to go, right, I think a lot of our guys can get into a place where they're firing by November. So, you know, doom and gloom in the short term, 
eternal optimism in the long term as always <laughs> that's that's where i keep coming back to the seven months and i see so many people uh putting out content or, or talking about on twitter like you know previewing the game against this team or previewing the game against that team and i think like think back about this u.s men's national team seven months ago and how different it is and then just how different it's going to be in seven months because of the age of these players and and how much can change in their careers in a short span of time. I mean, you look at a player like Weston McKinney, who in the span of seven months went from a player that we didn't know if he was any good at Schalke to being one of the top midfielders in Serie A, just getting header after header and scoring goals and, and you know, uh, bicycle kick, not by so, uh, scissor kicks against Barcelona in the Champions League. I mean, so much can change for these players in a short window. I do want to leave you with, with the last topic. Um, there, there's been rumors that uh, a player that we mentioned before on the show, Matthew Hoppy, could potentially be getting a, a, a loan move to Atlanta United. Now, this is not something that's the sources are not very credible. And, you know, this is kind of pie in the sky stuff. But just for the sake of argument and for discussion, what do you think about a potential move for Matthew Hoppy? over to Atlanta United and MLS. I love those kind of moves. I, you know, I remember people were throwing stuff like that out about Sargent and um, Yulianes, right? There's been a lot of guys. I, I think MLS is a great, like, tri I think what it is, it's AAA baseball. Like, I really believe that. And we I talked about the AAA mentality already. I think Hoppy needs to, like, put his big boy shoes on and say, you know what? This didn't work out. I'm not an EPL player. I'm not a La Liga player yet. It's okay, Matthew, no big deal. You're not a, you're not a La Liga player yet, but like understand who you are right now and understand what you need to do, which is, you know, you need to go do work. You need to go work on your game. You need to get, get to a level where you can play night in and night out. You need to be humble. You need to be coachable. You need to go somewhere and like take a lot of input and feedback. Because the worst thing that can happen to a lot of these guys is, and I've just seen it with kids I've coached at that age, is the ones who aren't open to feedback and think they've made it and are kind of like, you know, my stuff doesn't stink. They have a lot of problems getting better. You, you know, it's, they're very stalled out. Whereas kids, whether they're the worst kid on my team I've coached or, or a star, if they just have a more humble approach where they're always coachable and all, like, you know, I'm coaching this kid this year here at our prep school and he's going to Columbia next year. And I think he's just going to be one of the best low major guards in the country. And it's not because of talent. He's decently talented, but he's just the most coachable kid I've ever been around. And even in like this one year, I've seen him get so much better because of how coachable he is. So who is, you know, my question back to you, we don't know this. Who is Matthew Hoppy? Is he the guy that can handle that mentally? Is his pride going to be so hurt that he's like, screw this. I'm better than MLS and go in there with an attitude. Or is he going to be like, cool? Yeah, I can't wait. I just want to play soccer and I want to learn and I want to get better. And if that's him, then this is going to be a great move if, if it happens, right? Um, if it's the other one whose pride is going to be too hurt that he can't even like approach it in the right way, it could be, it could be the, the, the beginning of the end, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, Greg Velasquez from the Scuff Podcast has a great phrase. He always says, goals are noisy. Uh, they, they goals are loud. Highlights are loud. Uh, they, they kind of distort our view of things. And I think so much of our view of Matthew Hoppy is colored by his hat trick uh, for Schalke. Yeah. And, and also he had three goals later in that season. He ends up with six goals on the season. Uh, but how much of Matthew, Ho like where would Matthew Hoppy be right now in this discussion, if not for that hat trick game? And I, I know that you saying like, I'm putting too much in that hat trick game is not fair, but there's so many times where I've had discussions about certain players where people bring up one game 
And I remember one of the classic ones is DeAndre Yedlin versus Chelsea. He had a really good game against Eden Hazard. Yeah. And people always prop that up as saying, if he can shut down Eden Hazard, then he can shut down anybody in the world. And you look at DeAndre Yedlin's career, now that most of it's transpired, at least at the highest level, and you can say that game was a blip. That was not who DeAndre Yedlin was week in, week out. Uh, another one that people point to right now is like Matthew Scally, uh, not Matthew Scally, uh, Joe Scally against uh, uh, Bayern Munich. He had a fantastic game against Bayern Munich, and people said if he can play that way against Bayern Munich, then he can play that way against anybody. And at this point, he's kind of lost his starting spot. He's struggling to get back in the team. It's So I, I, I have a hard time looking at one game and, and making these big declarations about how good a player your, is. Your last statement's true, right? If he can do this against Chelsea, if he can do this against Bayern, then he can do it for the USMNT for sure. But it's not about can, right? Like we have a lot of players who can do it on a given night. It's like putting together the roster and just even from an individual standpoint, putting together performances that ensure consistency and ensure that a coach knows what they, not what they can what, what you can do, but what you will do, right, consistently. What we can expect from you, night in and night out, not yeah. what we can expect from you on a one-off. And, like, you know, yeah. you could go through the lineage of NBA players who've scored 50 points, right? And you can look at that list and be like, who is that guy? Like, who's yeah. that dude? And that's because great – and you could do the same thing in soccer with hat tricks, right? Like, yeah. who had a hat trick? This guy had a hat trick in La Liga in the Champions League? What? And it's because – Average players or okay, solid players can have elite nights, right? But elite players or even good players, it's like they put in the same performance night yeah. in and night out. And goals are goals are noisy. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, elite players have enough opportunity to score goals that they score them a lot. You know, like yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. How, 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 you watch it. How good is Hoppy though? You know, like I don't. That's I don't know. I, I watch him play, and he seems like a. He's got some traits that are good. Right? Like, yeah. You saw that in the Gold Cup. Like, I remember I watched a lot of his games for Schalke last year just because he was such a hot name when it started happening. Everybody, I feel like, started watching him. He's got some good stuff to him, but it's not all the way there for sure. It's not fully baked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you clarified what I said about Joe Scally. I don't want people thinking that I think Joe Scally's not a good player or, or anything like that. I think he's a tremendous player. I think he's had one of the best seasons in Europe of any player uh, out there in, in Europe, especially as an 18 year old and as a player breaking in and he's just played above expectations so much. It's unbelievable. I, I do think we got a little bit too high on him a little bit too quickly uh, and, and just put a little bit too much on him. I, I do. He is a player that I definitely want to see uh, get opportunities with the national team. I think he can potentially make that uh, that World Cup squad in Qatar, uh, but I he can, there was, he, can, he can help us, but your point was, yeah, is he yeah. an elite player because he had an elite night against Bayern? Yeah. No, right? Yeah. And people were, people were making crazy statements in the fall. Oh, he's yeah. like been a top five back in the in the Bundesliga. Yeah. I was like, oh, whoa. I remember getting into an argument with somebody on Twitter. I was like, guys, let's slow the roll a little bit. He hasn't been a top, he's not a top five fullback in, in the Bundesliga this year. Like, people said that about Jedi last year with the EPL. It's a top five left back, and, and, and I'm like, like we go, we go so crazy sometimes, Sam, but like to your point, yeah. to your point, like I think when somebody has a great one moment, right. That's like, we'll book in the show we started with this. Let's end with it. When somebody has a great moment, let's as a fan base, not get carried away and think that that is what defines that player. 
let's look for more data. Let's watch more, right? Like when Luca started getting, I feel like hot, la- that name became hot last spring. I'll be honest, I hadn't watched him much. Like I remember mm-hmm. the name from the youth, youth national team days. And I started hearing that. And so I, I like watched one game and it was terrible, right? Like I could say, no, nope, he's terrible. I watched one game. That's, that's a stupid approach, right? Like, let me watch more. Let me invest in watching more if I really care to have an opinion. So often I'll run across people like that, right? They're like, well, I watched that one game against Ajax and he was bad. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's Ajax and you watched one game. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's watch. Let's watch more. Let's get more data and let's figure out who the best players are. I think with more data, I think Joe Scali does at least, like you said, deserves a shout, deserves a chance. I think he could be better than a number of fullbacks that we have kind of in the mix. Um, I'd love to see him get a shot. Absolutely. He's one of those players that I'd love to see between in the seven months until Qatar get an opportunity. And I, I think he's got the mentality and I think he's got the uh, ability that he can contribute to this team. But you're right. We have been going on for an hour. This is a great time to end it. And I think you, you made a great statement there that this is this is a down moment for sure, but it's just a moment. And and uh, considering how great the, the, the last two or three years have been uh, in regards to um, Yanks abroad, uh, Americans playing in Europe. Uh, even now, even now, as bad as it's been, I mean, you still got uh, an Ameri- two, two Americans playing at a very high level in, in the Champions League. Uh, you got Serginho Des returning to Barcelona and, and, and getting back in that starting rotation and looking good. I mean, uh, Tyler Adams got a start over the weekend, even though it's probably because RB Leipzig have an important game to play this weekend anyway uh, uh all that aside as bad as things are right now things are still pretty good and it's still a good time to be an american soccer fan and we're still really excited uh for for the the next seven months and, and what's going to happen uh at the world cup in guitar in 2022 adam thank you so much for coming on can you tell everybody where they can uh follow you yeah you can follow me on twitter at stan usmnt and uh Man, bring bring the debate there. I love talking soccer and love uh, love arguing. So I uh, hope to see you guys on there. But yeah, Sam, thanks for having me on, man. You've been doing awesome stuff. Uh, been watching a lot of your stuff. Cool to see you grow, man. And uh, yeah, this is this has been a blast. And like Sam said, guys, it's just a moment, right? Like your <laughs> short term goods. Don't read too much into it. There's also short term short term bads like this one. Don't read too much into it. Absolutely. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for watching. If you haven't, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. For Adam, my name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.